Well, hey, thanks for joining us. Another Two Age Sojourner podcast and uh, some more stuff on Meredith Klein with Chris Kai. So stay with us. Chris, how's it going? It's going well. Um, how about you? <laughs> yeah, it's going well. It's good. You look good. cold. You look all like, is it freezing over there? Is it winter? There's there's still a bit of snow on the ground. It, uh, we had a white Thanksgiving here on Thursday. Oh, nice. Cool. That's awesome. I always, uh, we always get jealous with the whole like snowy Christmas thing. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it's just not the same when you have this like full on blazing heat during Christmas. You have to like totally change the Christmas <laughs> right. vibe. You know, you watch the movies, you see the whole like everyone's all in their sweaters and, you know, you know, just nice, cozy stuff going on. And uh, right. and then in the meantime, you know, you come back to reality and it's like, I don't know, I suppose we could have like barbecues and it's pretty cool in that way. It's like a proper summer holiday. It's just got category <laughs> confusion, major, uh, you know, especially when you got like fake snowy Christmas trees going on all over. <laughs> it's just a bit of a debacle, really. Um, but yeah, cool. So what we want to do, um, what I thought um, I actually kind of, what would be great is to kind of work through that uh, greater festschrift that um, was put out for um, for Klein. But um, I just happened to, I was just telling you earlier, I happened to get through Mark Kahlberg's book. I'm trying to make my way through all of his books. I'm, I'm um, just finished that one and I'm halfway through his latest one that came out, The Reforming Christianity or something along those lines. Um, and uh, man, this guy, you know, he, when it, you know, so I thought, let's just get a, get online and talk about him because um, he's, he's sort of one of those, like he's obviously a major Kleinian dude, um, right. you know, and he is just, he obviously has a command of, of Klein's writings along with a million other things. Um, but he seems just not to have had any, I don't know, just like no one even knows who he is. I, I Google searched him. I, there is not one image of the guy on the internet. Mm, is that right. not weird? Like, is that even possible? How does? <laughs> I mean, I would I would have thought that that at least you know you know everyone has at least one image on the internet of themselves, <laughs> right? You know, so the way he writes also just to kind of provoke a little mystery. Um, yeah, is it almost reminds me of of. Uh, and this might be completely wrong in terms of just where this is all going. And this is kind of why I want to talk to you about it, because you know, you know a whole lot more about this stuff. Um, but, you know, like Arthur Pink, have you, you've heard of Arthur mm-hmm. Pink, right? You know, right. they kind of like really, you know, apparently in the day he was like, no one even knew who he was. He was this genius, though. You read back his on his stuff, though, it's quite profound. Like, I really agree with a lot of what Arthur Pink said, uh, especially on the covenants, actually. And... Um, and, you know, he was just a way ahead of everyone and just seemed to be this really obtruse character, though. He wouldn't, like, talk to people. And, he, you know, he was getting kicked out of all the churches and that sort of thing. That's my, that's my like, knee-jerk impression of Kahlberg in the way that he writes and his understanding of things. And it's almost just like we're not ready for Kahlberg or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think that impression is too far off, actually. Um, so a part of what contributes to that is that he's older than us. And so... Um, I don't get the impression that he's a big internet guy. I mean, obviously you have to use it mm-hmm. these days, mm-hmm. but that probably accounts for why there's no pictures of him. He's like how definitely old? not as, uh, he could be in his sixties now. 
All right, so um, not, not like sure. like ancient old, not like no, 90. but older yeah. than us. All right, yeah. Um, um, all right, cool. So sixty. I mean, dude, could, you could still throw out a social media pop here <laughs> and there. Come on, Carlberg, what's going on? I mean, is, the, is he living in? The, is he living in some other rural place? In the, does he live in the states? Where does he live? Is he from Russia? That explains everything. If he's from <laughs> Russia, <laughs> right? Yeah. He's Snowden's next door neighbor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the story here is that, um, he was a student of Klein's at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and ended up becoming like the, um, the pit bull for mm. Meredith Klein. Does that translate? Yeah, totally. Like I mean, that's what it comes across dog. when you read it, you know, he's just like, yeah. he's going after everyone. Yeah. And so, um, I think he got marginalized pretty quickly because that was the approach that he took. Um, and have you seen him in person? I have not seen him in person. So you don't no. know what he looks like? No, <laughs> I've only spoken with him on the phone. Does anyone know what he looks like? <laughs> I'm sure his mother does. I mean, you know, anyone that you know, though, do you know his mother? <laughs> no, um, I, I don't even know if Lee has met him personally, but that's oh my a good goodness, question. this is so weird. <laughs> I just, you know, I mean, we need okay. to get a picture of this guy somehow. Where can we get a picture of him? I saw his uh, dissertation and it was signed by, interestingly enough, Norman Shepard was one of the people no. on his committee. Um, <laughs> but I think Bob Godfrey was actually one as well. And I know wow. Bob Godfrey. So Godfrey knows what he looks like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so if we could track him down, maybe we could get a sketch or something like that right. or an oil painting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's worth just having. I mean, if someone wanted to compile some sort of thing about Klein, I mean, this mysterious Dark Horse character, Carberg, is going to mess right. the whole thing up. We're going to have pictures of everyone else except him. Oh, boy. All right. So we don't know what he looks like. He's about six years old. He lives in America. Yes. Still. And the last I heard about him was that he had left the OPC for the EPC, which is kind of not as liberal as the mainline presbyterian church usa mm-hmm. but it's not as conservative as the pca either so it's kind of in between there interesting i wonder because i did notice that he um in his book interacts with a lot of liberalism a lot of um you know almost just the stuff that no one really i wouldn't have cared about really and you know but it seems like it's almost like he was on a university path of some sort <clears throat> that he needed to you know engage with people that would be com- completely random otherwise um you know, was that why do you think that is? What what was going on there? Well, I actually know other people who are quite ironic, um, who have just found the OPC to be uninhabitable, and that's why they've left for the EPC. Okay. Um, I don't think you can read Mark Carlberg and accuse him of being ironic. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I just I take that move as. Um, uh, the EPC was going to be a little bit more friendly Mm, to to him and probably allow him to teach his views. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I would have thought that would make a guy like that go a little bit crazy. You know, it it seems like, it seems like the only thing that would keep him sane is if he had a, a nice, very, very conservative, very, very together home to come to. But I think obviously if things aren't going well in the Kleinian direction for him, that would be a real, uh, you know, he wouldn't be able to live with that, which um, clearly is a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Okay, cool. So, and you, you said you spoke to him in person. So at least you know what his voice sounds like. He's a real person in that, in that regard. Yes. Um, I mean, I spoke with him on the phone as I was applying for my PhD and he was very kind. And I don't remember what all we talked about, but at that time I was thinking about focusing on Herman Vitzius. Hmm. And, um, so he, he was very kind to, I think he took about an hour and talked to me about, wow. PhD dissertations. Do you still have his phone number? Uh, probably somewhere. Oh, we should try and phone him. We should try and get him on the podcast. I could probably email him and ask if he'd come and talk to us. Yeah. You, oh, you should so do that, Chris. Okay. <laughs> It'd be terrifying. It'd be a terrifying thing. You lead that podcast <laughs> that day. I'll just stay in the background. But uh, what I will chirp in and ask for is a photograph. I will definitely do that. Um, man, that'd be amazing. You should talk. You it wasn't it. terrifying to talk to him at all. Really? Wow. Okay, cool. That'd be insane. We should totally do that. Um, wow. Carl Berg. Now, um, the other thing is, um, so he's written a ton. Like he's just, I mean, firstly, that reformed uh, uh, covenant theology and reformed perspective was, geez, what a monster of a book to get through. Uh, I think it was something like 500 pages, but it, I, I think it made it, you know, just all so dense, you know, there was just no downtime right. in that book. And it was almost like a series of, of, um, you know, it, well, it was a, a series of articles that he had written and sort of organized in a way that, that that actually worked quite well in giving you a full, robust view. What was amazing to me is just, um, um, you know, he seems to be, you know, and again, like, you know, you've gone down the the historical theology track, you kind of know what's going on there. But for me, I mean, it just, I, I was, I was in awe, you know, I was just looking at it going like, oh my goodness, he seems to know everything about everything. And then he dips into, <laughs> uh, you know, the biblical theology thing. And he just seems just as home there, just as uh, at home there. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm thinking like, where, you know, it's so I suppose my, my thought the whole way through is why hasn't this guy taken over? You know what I mean? Why, why is, why does, no one know about him. What's the deal? Um, and I think if it makes sense that if he was um, kind of marginalized early, that that would have, I don't know, set him apart. You know, was he really, when did he start getting marginalized? Was it before he actually put out a few books or or before he got his PhD even? Or, or you know, did he get that reputation that early? Or how did that work, you think? Because mm, everyone gets really marginalized know. at some level with this stuff. I'm just wondering, it doesn't seem enough of a reason to throw him you know, in the back like that. I mean, I'm, I'm only speculating. Mm. Um, and so I don't know how helpful that is. I just think that the tone of his writing, um, certainly didn't get him any invitations to teach anywhere or, um, probably even to preach anywhere. Um, right. That's about the best I can say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, there's probably a lesson there, you know, on its own. Man, that's crazy. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I was reading it and I was thinking that the whole time. I mean, that would be the kind of obvious. Wow. Okay, this is hard hitting. You'd have to be willing to. You'd have to be willing to. I don't know. Take what whatever this brings. If you had to say, get him to teach at your church, and uh, you know, you know, you're you're totally committed at that point. And um, but you know, I mean, just because of the sheer brilliance of what what, what was going on there. I mean, I th- I thought, you know that would overcome it you know so again i'm putting mm. that that's i suppose why i kept coming back to the 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 pink thing you know just right. uh i w- probably wouldn't want pink to teach at my church <laughs> you 
you know, <laughs> from everything I've heard about him. Um, and and yet, you know, we all read his books, so you know that's that's how it rolls. But um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, for anyone, I don't even know if people have heard about him, um, but it's worth definitely worth a read. I mean, that that particular book, um, Covenant Theology in Reformed Perspective, is on online for free. Um, so you can just go and download that if you're listening to this. Um, I thought, um, and then this um, this last chapter in that book was a double up on the first shift that was um, published by um, uh, what is that Wolfenstock or something uh, PNR, and right. um, and we could uh, just go and have a look at that quickly. But you know, you can get that for free. You don't have to buy the book. You can get it for free on Kahlberg's book. Um, and it's just, he just he makes a few uh, comments here that I thought would be just interesting to kind of introduce him and, um, and at the same time just introduce, talk a little bit more about Klein. Just starting off in the beginning of that um, article, he says, it's called Reformed Theology as, a, as the Theology of the Covenants, the Contributions of Meredith G. Klein to Reformed Systematics, which is, is really cool. It's kind of like, I know we were talking before, and that's, the one and it's like no one's really done much on this, right? Uh, it's right. almost like he's wide open on on just people need to think more about what Klein did by way of uh, contributing to systematics, and uh, I like the way that Kalberg just sees that and really just says, "Listen, you know, he that was his whole sort of tension, really, the whole way through. He was just, you know, he was almost creating a new kind of systematic theology." Um, where you just you must do it a certain way. It must arise out of the text, you know that that I suppose Farsian kind of thing taken to its next level. But it wasn't right. it wasn't just biblical theology. It was it was um, it was systematics for sure. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. Klein was never ever interested in talking about practical theology, but I distinctly remember a conversation with him about systematics, mm. and he was saying, "Yeah, you know, even when you read uh, Voss's biblical theology, um, you realize that just in the nature of the case, he has to stop and do systematics along the way." Mm-hmm. Um, and so he saw that as just in, I mean, what's necessarily involved in doing biblical theology. So yeah. it makes sense that we can see him doing it as well. Totally. So, I mean, you get, uh, it's interesting because, I mean, I suppose Murray did that as well. Murray was a strong, you know, he wanted his systematics to, to flow out of his biblical theology. So it's not like it's going to always lead you to the same position on everything. But, uh, you know, it's that kind of, I mean, I think Murray called it a biblico-systematic theology right and and he just wanted a a new category he just wanted to call it that (laughs) and um you know i like that i think that's good um i I can't remember offhand the quote now but with frame uh critiquing klein uh, it's something he says something along the lines of although i'm i'm in systematics and klein's in in uh biblical theology let it be known you know that klein is if if the word systematic means anything at all klein is a systematic theologian um, which is kind of interesting, you know, just to hear him say that. So he certainly saw him as moving into that realm, you know, it, it, even if uh, in a, through a, I don't know, a new means or a new way to get there. For me, I'm just like, I definitely, I enjoy systematic theology, but I, the thing that always freaks me out about it is that, you, you know, you end up having to embrace every conceivable angle and, you know, it, it usually veers so far off and 
you know, either philosophical directions or historical directions. And, you know, as interesting as they may be, you do, without a doubt, sometimes lose the sense of groundedness in scripture, or you feel like it gets its token, token little exegetical argument, and then it just moves into the history of doctrine and, you know, every philosophical conundrum related. And, um, and it, uh, you, you can imagine, I mean, just to, if someone had to focus on biblical theology and let that drive it, I mean, you would just have a much more lucid presentation of, it'd just be much more biblically rich and robust, you know, yes, it would fill up most of the volume, you know, and uh, you probably wouldn't have much time for the other stuff, but right. amen, you know, let's rather fall in that, in that way than the other stuff, I, I would say. Well, I think you get a sense in biblical theology of um, listening to a story. Yeah, totally. And that's much easier to read and to listen to than, you know, mm. a uh, logically sure. organized yeah. systematic theology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there's a difference between um, what, what Horton did recently and, and what Burkhoff did. So, you know, is yes. a, a good way. I mean, it's very readable. Horton's very readable. I mean, he still does go deep in the other areas as well. And maybe... And from he wrote that other one, Pilgrim Theology, mm-hmm. which um, you know it's, it's actually just it's also massive. You know, I kind of went into thinking, oh, this will be a, you know, on Kindle you can't really see <laughs> how how thick the book is, <laughs> and so <I'm, laughs> it was the most annoying right. thing because I was reading it thinking this would be like Grudem's little abbreviated version, you know, and it just kept on going and kept on going. I'm like, dude, am I at the end of this thing yet? What's going on? Like, I just didn't go in with the right game <laughs> face, you know. So it's just um, it ended up being this massive book. So it was like a complete rewrite of his um, the Christian faith. Uh, but without mm. almost exactly what we're talking about now, it just it just drove with biblical theology the whole way through, uh, and you know it it did incorporate some of those historical slash philosophical elements, um, but yeah, they were capped by the the major po- portion being uh, driven by a Kleinian sort of biblical theology. So that's a really right. great systematics text. I'm I'm actually starting to recommend that more and more, and I think I think it's fast becoming. It sort of cuts out the junk, just gets straight to, you know, if you want to, if you want to read the story of scripture, so to speak, and end up with good doctrine, you know, that's the way to do it. You know, it's just, you, you're right. engrossed in it. You, you, um, by the time you get to the doctrine, you feel that richness of the text behind it. It's, it's, it's powerful. Um, mm. Anyway, so coming back to Kahlberg, um, he says, it is with a deep sense of personal admiration and esteem for Professor Klein that I address the topic of the significance of his work for contemporary reformed theology. Klein's thought has played an influential role in the shaping of my understanding of the scriptures, especially the biblical theological interpretation of God's covenants. May this tribute to my very dear friend and mentor give expression to my indebtedness to him, while helping in some small measure to rekindle in the reformed churches a renewed awareness and appreciation for the doctrine of the covenants and to emphasize the importance of this teaching for the presentation and defense of the gospel in our day. In many respects, this essay serves as an introduction to the writings of Klein in the broader context of current theological discussion. Uh, so that, that's kind of one of the reasons I thought to m- mention uh, this article, because, you know, that's always good when someone's introing his work. Um, I suppose the current theological discussion is not so, so current anymore. This thing was probably written a while back, right? Because he mentions at some point Kingdom Prologue was like the, the new book that just came out. <laughs> right. This would have definitely predated even uh, the Federal Vision. So Yeah, there we go. So, you know, it's just to keep that in mind if you are reading it online. Um, 
And, uh, but you know, and uh, you feel it as well. I mean, you go through it, you're like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? I don't even know what's going on. Um, but you know, whatever he doesn't, he stays on course, I think. Um, and, um, he says as a largely descriptive analysis of Klein's work, our present treatment will necessarily be selective and brief addressing what I consider to be among Klein's most formative insights into contemporary reformulation of reform doctrine. Adoption of Klein's interpretation leads uh, inevitably to a number of significant modifications of traditional dogmatic expression, oh, sorry, exposition, uh, and the fact that his work itself bears a decisively theological orientation greatly facilitates the writing of this article. Um, so kind of what we were talking about, about earlier, it has this theological orientation to it. Um, well, that takes us more or less to the threshold of the article itself. We'll spend just one more um, session next week, I think, just chatting it through. Um, just briefly surrounding some of the material in the article itself, but let's drop it there. Thanks for joining us, Chris. It's always good to talk to you, Mike. Bye. Bye.